Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Purdy Insurance. Visit Purdy Insurance on Market Street in Sunbury or visit online at purdyinsurance.com. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. So the saying that drinking wine in ancient Israel or Palestine was safer than drinking the water? I guess. <laughs> this completely explains the suit's pre-announced policy. All right, so... I, <laughs> I think that explains a lot of things. Oh, man, alive. Boy. I mean, I received a note the other night about the Shigalemi broadcast, and they, they said the one time Dave was allowed to speak, he was awesome. All right, let's uh, get to uh, our play-by-play call of the day. Extra innings and the Red Sox behind Christian Vasquez win it. Swing and a drive. Deep right field. Get out of here. Get going. It is. Off the wall. It's a double. It's a ground rule double, and Yandy's got to go back to third base. Now, did it hit Renfro and go back over the wall? That's the question. That's what Neil is saying behind us. Neil's and the umpires are going to get together. Neil's got a bit of a higher yeah. view than us and said that it hit the wall, and then Renfro knocked it over the wall, so, in which case I believe the umpires could place the runners. I don't know that I've ever seen this, and I don't know how this I don't know can, how be, it's, how can it's be a ground rule double. I don't know how it's scored, and I don't know how you place the base runner. I know that there is umpire's discretion that comes into play here. All right, here we go. And they're saying it's a double. Are they going to put Diaz back on base? That is amazing That's, break. They are. Luis Patino delivers, and there's a drive left field, high and deep, back by the wall. Gone. Red Sox win it. Christian Vasquez, a two-run homer. Can you believe it? Six-four Boston in 13 innings. No good. No good. No good. Okay, so that was the Rays Network. We're going to get to Dave in one second. That was the Rays Network on the Hunter Renfro play, which, by the way, is the correct call. Then it was Matt Vaskersian and John Smoltz saying exactly what I was saying at home. I said, I think I know baseball left and right. I've never seen that play before. And that was Joe Castiglione with the home run call. So, yes, it is the correct call unless Renfro deliberately knocked it over the fence, which it is obviously by the face of the earth, it ball hit the wall, hit the hit the warning track, bounced up, hit Renfro off the shoulder and the arm, and went into the went into the bullpen. In fact, he's trying to get the ball back. That's a ground rule double, and they don't have the discretion on placing a runner. He's got to be at third. So it's second and third. And then unfortunately Matt's trying to make the point the Red Sox ripped it off and won. Just so Matt knows, that would have made it 5-4. The Vasquez homer was a two-run homer, Matt. They would have won 6-5. No, I know, but I, I just think that that rule should be changed. It was changed. a two-run homer. I know. No, I don't think it should. No, I don't think it should be changed. I do not. Okay? You can't just start guessing where somebody's going to be. You can't do that. Hey, that's something like that. That's a total guess. Where now you're trying to sync up tapes. And things. Matt, the game takes too long to begin with. Okay? It's always been two bases. 
it's two bases. And if it was the Red Sox, I'd be saying, you know me, what would I say? It's a ground rule double, it should be two bases, he didn't score, it's a yes, bad break. absolutely. Which is exactly what I would say. All right? And Vasquez hit a two-run homer, not a solo shot. All right. Dave, I apologize for making your way through that lengthy explanation. Uh, so, I was going to get to that later. Uh, thanks for joining us on the show. Appreciate you very much for doing that. Hello, Dave. Here. There he is. Can Hi, Dave. Me? Yes, I can. Thank you for waiting through that. I I, I apologize for that. Uh, <laughs> no problem. Yeah, thought I explained it well, but you know, but that's that's okay. Uh, so, the opening drive of the game takes seven and a half minutes, and they get a touchdown out of it. What did that do? I know, I know you're only down a score, but what did that do to set the tone for the day? Yeah, I, I tell you what, it, it was like a, a game that I've never been a part of in, in that fact. Both teams coming out with young quarterbacks, trying not to put a lot on their shoulders, trying to establish the run game, uh, and both teams moving the ball down the field. Uh, you know, Lafayette taking the opening drive, you know, down – uh, they survived two fourth and one attempts to keep moving the chains. So uh, they take half the quarter off the clock, and, and your team's already cold. <laughs> your offense has been yeah. sitting on the, the sideline for all of that. But I give our players credit. Uh, they kicked off to us, and for our first drive of the day, we held the ball for eight minutes. <laughs> So yeah. They had it for the first seven and a half, then we held it for eight and drove down. Unfortunately, our fourth down came up short uh, on their 31-yard line. Uh, just felt like we weren't quite in field goal range uh, yet there, so we went for it and fourth down. And, and that really wound up being the difference in the ball game was Lafayette made those conversions, those critical downs, those fourth down and shorts uh, 100% of the time. Uh, I think we went for fourth down uh, seven times. We were four of seven, so we made ours most of the times. But uh, it was such a fast game in terms of, if you think about it, already over a quarter has gone by, and neither team has had the ball uh, more than one time. It really was crazy. Right. It, it really is crazy. You have to come up with a style to win. Okay, so you're playing with a style that gives you the best chance to win. How tough is it, though, when you've got to do it in increments and you'd love to get a big play in there that could be so demoralizing for an opponent to defend? Yeah, and that's where I credit Lafayette's defensive coordinator. They did a great job of just saying, hey, look, we're going to bend but don't break. Uh, we're going to allow you to try to run the football. We'll give you three yards in a cloud of dust, but we're going to do everything in our power to make sure that you don't throw the football over our heads. And, and we had a couple of opportunities that uh, we had guys open but barely, and it needed to be a great throw. And unfortunately, uh, we didn't deliver in those situations. But uh, the bottom line was, you know, we uh, were forced to, to basically go on those long drives, you know, those 12 play uh, drives to get into scoring position. And, and we just, right now, we're too inconsistent as a football team, uh, you know, without those chunk plays, without those plays to, to be, you know, those explosive plays that people talk about getting 20 yards on a, you know, a slant where the receiver breaks a tackle or, or uh, you know, a sweep around the end where the running back uh, scampers uh, down the sideline. And, and unfortunately, we just did. We went the entire game without that explosive play. Our big pass plays were covering 12 yards, not 32 yards down the field, and uh, and, and that put us in a, in a really tough situation to have to play, you know, just such a at a level of consistency that unfortunately with the youth that we have on offense, we're just not able to do yet. 
And how tough was it also, too, because Lafayette seemed to do a good job of controlling the line of scrimmage. How tough does that make the day? Yeah, well, that's ultimately where where things uh, start. You know, if you look back at our yeah. victory against Cornell the week prior, I mean, we made their offense one-dimensional. Yep. We held them to 34 yards rushing, and, and this was the opposite of that. Right out from the very first drive, it was apparent that their offensive line had the edge, uh, and, uh, you know, their runs were going for, uh, you know, four yards, and our runs were going for three yards. And that's not that big of a difference, but, again, when you are you got to incrementally go down the field, uh, those yards, the, the, that that one yard difference is is critical in the end to keeping those long uh, scoring drives alive. How tough is it in the psychology of the game, Dave, for players to play when the margin of error is thin? And also for you, how tough is it for a coaching staff to coach the game when you know the margin of error is thin? It, you know, it does put more pressure on you as a coach, but the, you know, over the years, that's something that you just get accustomed to, and, and the experienced coaches uh, can deal with that. Uh, where our issue lies more in is, if you think about it, the younger a football player is, the more easily swayed they are with momentum. Good momentum, they play better. Bad momentum, they fall apart. You know, you see that in high school games all the time, right? Two teams that are relatively even matched, and then, the, you know, the ball bounces the wrong way, and a team gets a couple of quick scores, and all of a sudden it just it, it just bulldozes, snowballs, or whatever you want to call it, into just a, a blowout win. Uh, the more veteran your college football team is, they're less susceptible to that. They know they're going to get their mm-hmm. turn, they're going to shake off a bad luck or a bad call or a you know a, a deep guy who was wide open and the ball just you know went six inches beyond where he was and and be able to continue and keep plugging away but with the young team that we have they're unfortunately you know I, I saw that on our sideline and that was our biggest challenge was to see hey when our long drives resulted in no points and their two long drives resulted in touchdowns you could see guys saying boy you know what what's what's going on here and, and that momentum shifting to Lafayette's favor uh, really took us you know and put us in a position of playing from behind and and uh, you know that's uh, just unfortunate you know youth and inexperience you know play a part in that so i want to get into the youth and inexperience part of it dave because you're really you're forced right now to to have to play this way okay so it's not like hey you know we decided to go with a youth movement this is you're playing your best players you're playing your best players right Yeah, uh, we had uh, seven seniors that were suited up for the game, and and all of those guys played, but uh, unfortunately seven's just not enough to to go out there and provide the type of leadership we need right now. So this is a general question because I don't want specifics for obvious reasons, okay, because that's that's not how you and I roll on this. Do you know deep down that you'd like to play a game, a, a guy a game too late than a game too early? for obvious reasons, because of the confidence part, things like that. Have you been yeah, forced I, to play I, a couple I, of guys have you been forced to play a couple of guys a game too early instead of that preferred a game too late? Yeah, I, I think, you know, at any time if if you're firing on all cylinders and your your recruiting is up to speed, you know, you're always gonna want to be in that position as a coach that you'd rather have a guy play late as opposed to early, given the situation yeah. that we're at right now where players, freshmen are playing not because they've earned the starting position yet, but because they've inherited that position because the guy or the two guys in front of them have gone down. I mean, we feel really, really excited about our young freshmen. 
Uh, but you're exactly right. right. Having guys and asking them to go out, particularly on the offensive and defensive line, and be able to go toe-to-toe with somebody for 50 or 60 snaps uh, over the course of a game, uh, that's just a hard ask to make. So the closer that position lines up to the football, uh, the harder the ask is to, to put somebody in there who's just not quite ready, knowing that, hey, they are gaining experience, and that experience is invaluable, but a lot of guys get worn down by the physicality of the game. So so that's uh, how I would answer that question, Steve. So do you treat it a little differently with some, some guys because you don't want them to lose confidence while also being tough enough to make them better? Yes, and it becomes an issue of trust. The players need yes. to buy into your program. They need to understand that, hey, you know, this coach is out for my best interest, and I trust him when he says, hey, keep doing what you're doing. Keep plugging ahead. Keep working your tail off. Learn from that mistake. Shrug it off. Don't let it bother you. Go get the next one. Keep playing full speed and all of those things, and that good things will come. Uh, that's what it comes down to. That player has to trust. They kind of all go through this process with first, they're just super excited. Hey, I'm playing in a college football game. I wasn't sure I was going to be able to do this already as a freshman. So they go through that initial euphoria where, okay, I don't care that I'm getting knocked backwards or knocked to the ground. I'm still out here you know, playing while well, that – that that initial you know euphoria wears off, and then you get back to earth of, of hey, I'm not winning most of my battles. So uh, so that's where it comes in. You got to have that trust in the coaching, and we've got to continue to do our job as coaches to motivate our our players, saying hey, we are getting better. It's happening in spurts. It's not you know that's just not how it works when you're a young and experienced team. But we continue to build upon our mistakes and our successes. And if we keep putting the effort in, we keep pushing ourselves. We will be a good football team whether that's a week from now or six weeks from now, it's going to happen at some point down the road. And finally, Dave, at some point you will become the older team. At some point you will. Now you got Fordham exactly. this weekend. Yeah, it, it, At some point you will. Is Fordham, though, one of those older teams? <laughs> Unfortunately, on offense, yes. Uh, defense, they, yeah. they uh, have a couple of injuries. Yeah. They're banged up, and so they do have a couple yeah. of young guys. They're giving up a decent amount of yards with their defense, but their offense is the most high-powered in the league. Uh, they've got, uh, right now, would probably generally be regarded as uh, the best quarterback in the league, the best tailback in the league, and probably three of the top four wide receivers in the league with an experienced offensive line. So uh, this is something that our, our defense is going to be under tremendous pressure uh, to uh, hold back a uh, an offense that's put up 42 points and 56 points in, in the last two weeks, and, and our offense is really going to have to go out there and, and get those chunk plays that we weren't able to get against Lafayette if we're going to stay in this one. I think you know that the saying I'm out to give everybody is an old saying I've mentioned many, many times in this show. Youth is a disease, but there is a cure. <laughs> so, get older. <laughs> Amen. Amen. <laughs> Dave, good luck this weekend at Forum. It's always great talking to you. You know, look, we'll get through this. It'll be everything's going to be great. Right. All it's right, be great. Thanks for having me, Steve. Thank- I appreciate it. Thanks, Dave. All right. So very quickly, because uh, Matt, you know, Matt gets mad about everything. He gets mad. At the, I think he thinks <laughs> Renfro threw the ball into the bullpen. I've never seen that before. I've never. I haven't I, I either. Looked at, I looked at it and I was like, "Wow, I wonder what the heck the call is on that one." All right? 
because it was hit to a spot where, like, I mean, Ke- Kiermaier, uh, who's just one of the really terrific defensive center fielders out there, who's ended up being a good offensive player. He's the longest tenured Ray. He's been there nine years. And he really had not been having a great series. And, man, he turned on one on, from Nick Pavetta. I mean, he is like, you're like, whoa, that was hit. Right? But, again, it's a colder day at Fenway, and it doesn't fly as far. And it hit the wall because Matt called it out, Matt Vaskersian. He hit the wall. It then hit the warning track. It bounced up and it hit Renfro. And you can tell Renfro's just trying to get the ball. Right? And he got, he's running up to get the ball. It hits his shoulder, arm, like the combination of the two, boom. And he's trying to dive after it as it goes into the bullpen. And you're like... Okay, I've never seen that. I mean, you see thousands of baseball games in your lifetime. I'd never seen that before. So I'm sitting at home going, I think that's a ground rule double, right? That's a, right? I think. So then Matt Vaskersian and John Smoltz, and when I heard John Smoltz say, I've never seen that before, I felt good because he's at all 162 games when he plays. <laughs> He'd never seen that before. I'm like, oh, good. I'm glad I'm not the only one. And Matt Vaskersian said he'd never seen it before. Like, holy cow. Um, And then they came back, and I said, I think it's a ground rule double. That's what I'm thinking. I'm th- I said, I think it is. And it was a ground rule double. There isn't that much any discretion about you only go up two bases. That's the rule. No discretion. Because you just can't start saying, "Oh, yeah, he was already home." He wasn't already, you know, he wasn't already home. He wasn't, you know, you're trying. Can you tell on the tape where where Diaz is when the ball's going over the wall? You can't because you can't see the ball. <laughs> the ball's behind Renfro. But remind me, where was Diaz when that ball was first hit? base? First base. Okay. And it was, but it was a three-two count. He was running on the count. Okay, so I, okay. I, I do so see your argument so there. It's, However, it's three, it, see, it's three-two, two outs. So he was going right. Okay, so he takes off. That's why he's got a chance. I mean, he's going to score in the play if it stays in the park. I mean, there's no doubt he will score. Okay, the problem is you can't make the assumption, and that uh, no matter what it is. And I'll go back. I'll give you the perfect example that is the 2004 playoffs, where like the Red Sox caught a huge break. Tony Clark, who's now the player rep, he was uh, playing first base and he was at the plate. And I think it was Ruben Sierra was on first. I think it was either he or Castro. I think it was Ruben Sierra, and he crushed one down the right field line to the short porch where the pesky pole is. And the ball hit the warning track and went into the seats. If the ball hits the top of the wall, Sierra easily scores. And the Yankees are going to win the game. But because it bounced, because the wall's not that high there, I want to say the wall is three feet there, something like that. It's not that high. It bounces over the wall, and the Yankees ended up with second and third, and the Red Sox got out of it, and then, of course, they ended up winning the game. Right? Same thing with this one. Number one, the bullpen wall is a little higher than the pesky pole wall, a little bit. The ball bounce, if the ball stays in play, Diaz is going to score. I freely admit, Matt, he's going to score. But you can't do that on an assumption play because you can't, number one, you can't see the ball. Like, where is it? So you're looking at a replay. Where do we place the runners? I can't even see the ball. Well, all I'm saying is 
when you go back and look at that replay, they called it a home run on the field, right? No. No, they did not. They called it a double. Because remember, there's an umpire but, well, down the but line. Di- but didn't that run, regardless, didn't that run score before they before they ruled no. it? No. He was, he was just coming around third. Okay. When the when the ball was going into the bullpen, he was just coming around third. Okay. See, I, I thought uh, they had, and, I thought they had called it a home run, but no, they okay. no they had not. Because remember, there's an umpire down the right field line. He could see it. There's right, six they have umpires. Six man crew. Yeah. There's six umpires, not four. So you're not worried about what the infield umpires are like trying to somehow get out there and get a view and an angle. It's you already got that. You got six umpires. So the right field umpire sees the play. So they know. And they and the Red Sox immediately are all like putting their hands up like it's a ground rule double, so everybody stopped. And you know that that became you know, but this, see it doesn't matter. There is no discretion on that play. It's two bases. He was on first. He gets two bases. And that's you know even though you and I both know he'll score, just like I know Ruben Sierra in the 2004 game would have scored. The rule is really cut and dried. It's two bases. Well, my point was going to be if if the run had scored had already scored before they can determine that, then I would say let that run yes. score, but then put the but yeah. then keep the runner yeah. at, at second base that hit the ball. He has, but he ha- he has to go back. Right. But in because this case, yeah. Yeah, because it's ruled a ground rule double, he has to go back. There is no well gee, he scored. No, well no, he, like like he can't. And they, and he and he had not scored. Um uh, he was a, he was just coming around third. Which means he would have scored, okay? But he hadn't scored. Right. Uh, And then it really is a moot point because the Vasquez home run was a two-run homer. Exactly. So it becomes a moot point anyway. So I'll I'll, I'll rest my rebuttal rebuttal slash uh, hatred of that call because I I understand. I have a better understanding Um, of it now. Right. And again, Vasquez... Because remember, Renfro, he's involved in everything. He walked in the 13th. So he was on base. Technically, Renfro scored the winning run. Right. Technically. But it was a two-run homer. So instead of being 6-5, it ended up being 6-4. So it was not a solo homer to win the game 5-4. And you're like, oh, see, it would have been a 5-5 game. Now it was a two-run shot. So it actually kind of takes the starch out of the argument. And Kevin Cash and Kiermaier. Kiermaier's like, wow, I didn't know the ruling. And Kevin Cash said, it was rather a matter of fact. It's a double, it's two bases. They, they said they have it right. Like, okay. All right. Take a break. We'll come back. Crazy, crazy. I'd never seen that before. Never. And, you know, and I brought up the Tony Clark play, and I just did that just to turn the knife. Back with more in a moment. <laughs> Here on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Get the lingerie on the deck. Call the janitor. Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. I heard that. Did you hear that haunted house commercial? Yes. I was confused. In what way? Well, the first one I thought of is there's this place in Ward 4. And what? 
Today's show brought to you by Purdy Insurance. You know you were set up. I-T, that spells You didn't expect that, did you? Today's show brought to you by Purdy Insurance. Market Street in Sunbury, go to purdyinsurance.com. Auto, home, life, business, boat, motorcycle, you name it, they have it. Season does a great job of explaining all of it. Uh, and it's all at Purdy Insurance. Market Street in Sunbury, go to purdyinsurance.com. We're in the Sunbury Motors studio, Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors, Kia Routes 11 to 15, Hummels Wharf, and online at sunburymotors.com. Okay, so let's get to the, tr- the transfer part of the quarterback deal. I think we've talked about a lot of things because like a lot went into it uh, um, on Saturday, which I think we went into. I mean, you need help from everybody to do this and, you know, the field position, the false starts. It's like, you know, can you make a catch? Can you make a throw? You know, there's a lot, you know, there's a lot to go into it. And, it, you know, in the end, Iowa was allowed to play the game it wanted to play because if the game kept going like it did in the first 18 minutes, they were this close to being run out of the ballpark. Um, but that's not how it played out. Iowa won the game. They get to storm the field, and they get to uh, be, I guess, the ranks. I haven't seen the rankings. I'm, I'm assuming they're two, right? Yes, Iowa is two, and Penn State uh, is seven. That's fine. Whatever. It doesn't. It doesn't matter. The I'll spare you. I'll spare you my the, the, uh, rant on that this week. It, it's irrelevant, though. Okay. The first ranking that I'm going to watch will be the one after the, on the uh, 31st. That's the first day the college football playoff ranking comes out. That's the only one that determines the title. These don't determine anything except interest, and that's why I don't really read it. All right. So, okay, two parts. So let's get to the backup quarterback. And, and then transfer part. Okay, so let's get to that. Most places, your starter is the starter for a reason. Right? I mean, you pick a starter at every position for a reason, and especially a quarterback. That's your best guy. Okay? That's why you do it. That's why they're the starter. Now, it's not like being a wide receiver where you can play four to six during the course of the game and you can rotate. You can play three running backs in a game, whatever it may be, three tight ends. You can, you know, you can do multiples, except at one position on the field. The only position on the field where there's not multiples is quarterback. So you got to play one. All right. In most places, the backup quarterback comes in in. It's the way it is. Graham Mertz goes out. Wolf comes in. Wolf and Wisconsin can't generate. They can barely generate a first down against Michigan. It was a 13-10 game when Mertz got hurt. Wolf comes in. Couldn't get anything going. Okay. That's just an example. Look at Texas A&M. Oh, look, they, they won with their backup quarterback. Uh, Yeah, okay. And when he came into the first game, the Texas A&M offense went nowhere. Then he got to start the second game. And they lost 10-7, and the Texas A&M offense went nowhere. Then they played Mississippi State in his second start, 
in its third game overall, and the Texas A&M, and they lost. And then in his third start, to his credit, he finally settled in, made some plays, and they pulled that incredible upset the other night. But his first two starts, the Texas A&M offense really, really struggled. And that's, you know, is that his fault? No, he's the you know there's a reason the other guy's starting and the reason you're the backup, all right? And that's the way it is most places. How's Miami done with De'Ara King out? I mean, it's just across the board. So now let's get to the other part. De'Ara King is a transfer. J.T. Daniels of Georgia, who didn't start this weekend, Stenson Bennett, who started some games in the past, okay? But J.T. Daniels, their starter, he's a transfer. And and I'm telling you right now, it's not a transfer. If if the roles were reversed in Spencer Petras, who's good, not great, but he's a good quarterback, if they had to go to Alex Padilla in this game on Saturday, uh, no, not going to happen. It's just the way it is. There is not this depth of so many quarterbacks out there, and you've got quarterback movement. Who's the starting quarterback at Notre Dame? Wisconsin's Jack Cohn. Who's the starting quarterback at Georgia? USC's JT Daniels. Who's the starting quarterback at Miami? Houston's De'Ara King. You know, you keep going across the board with all these starting quarterbacks, and where were they before? Because we're at that point now, especially the last couple of years, I ain't starting, I'm departing. So now let's get to Will Levis, and then I'll get to bringing in a, a transfer, which is a very fair question to ask. Will Levis was here, and he wants to start. I don't blame him. And you know that Penn State was leaning hard in Sean Clifford's direction anyway. And Will is a 4-0 student. He is 4-0. He is brilliant. Okay? Big heart. He's gone down to Central America and built homes for Habitat for Humanity. As a player, obviously a tough, strong, physical runner and has a really beautiful release. The problem he's always had is he never has had great touch on the ball, but Will is a really nice release. It's the touch part. Like take the game on Saturday, for example. Iowa's linebackers do a great job, and Campbell, the guy who ultimately is the one that hit Sean on the last play he was out there, Campbell's a really good linebacker, and he's also 6'5". So you're trying to throw over a 6'5 linebacker. that, And that's why one of the reasons the Iowa safeties have the interceptions they do this year, because Campbell helps set it up with his length and the depth of his drop. He's very, very good. Okay, And so for a guy like Levis, that would have been a struggle because he's not a guy that throws the ball over guys. He mostly throws the ball on a line that's just the way Will throws it. Okay. At least he's played. Will's best two performances at Penn State, without question, were the game he stepped in against Ohio State, on the road, did a terrific job, helped produce 17 points, and at Nebraska last year, right? What were two of the worst performances for Will? His start against Rutgers, where Penn State won the game, but like, like 
Now, Jack and I were like, okay, here's his golden opportunity. This is going to be great. And he ran for 100 yards. But passing-wise, he had one big pass play to Dotson to the five-yard line. That really was it. And like, like we're like, okay, well, he's just young. Okay, I got it. And what was his other start? Does anybody remember the other start of Will Levis's career? Guess who was the starting quarterback last year against Iowa? Oh, that's right, yeah. That's why I do this job, man. Okay, so... Um, <laughs> right, and it, that didn't go well. So, and I, the only reason I bring that up is not to be critical of Will at all. Zero. I bring it up for this. The fans were not enamored with Will after the Rutgers game, and the fans were not enamored with Will after the Iowa game last year. Right? <laughs> okay? But now... He's at Kentucky. They're after a great start. Although you look at, I have not seen a second in Kentucky play, at all zero. I do not. I've been told, and I haven't even seen the Kentucky. I mean, Penn State doesn't play Kentucky, so I'm not sitting there looking at Kentucky's numbers. I'm told that Will has had a good year, and I'm thrilled for him. I mean, I'm. You're not going to meet a nicer guy, big heart, brains, the whole deal. But he wanted to start. Can you blame him? I don't blame him. So that brings in now the other part. Okay, I ain't starting. I'm departing. I'm going. Okay, so now Penn State, what about getting a quarterback in the transfer portal? A, it wasn't like they tried. Right? Most guys, when they transfer, want to be go, want to go in and be the guy. That's why when Finley went to Auburn, I think he thought he was going to unseat Knicks. And he hasn't been able to. And I guess when they played LSU, which was Finley going back, he got in for a few plays, and they went back to Knicks, and I guess he was just disgusted on the sideline. All right. But there's a couple things. Number one, it's got to be somebody that understands your situation. Okay, number two, and this is a big one. It's got to be the right fit. And people here then go, "Oh, what does that mean? Oh, come on, what is that? Just get a guy he can play." But no, it's not true. And I'll go back to the story I told two weeks ago about Lashawn McCoy. Lashawn McCoy had a great college career at Pitt. He had a really good NFL career. With the Eagles, he was he was terrific. With the Bills, Chiefs, Bucks, ends up with a couple Super Bowl rings along the way. But most of his work was done in Philadelphia. Some was done in, in Buffalo. When he came for his recruiting visit here, on a scale of 1 to 10 of 1, hey, okay, it went okay, and 10, it was a disaster. He was 10. When the players go to the head coach and they say to him, we really would prefer you not recruit this guy, that says everything. And then at that point, Joe Paterno stopped recruiting him because the players asked him, please don't recruit him. He doesn't fit. 
That's what you're t- talking about, fit. And I'm not saying anybody came in here and it was like that. I'm not saying that when it comes to the quarterbacks. But when you're talking about, when James talks about fit, that's real. Okay, that's real. You know, who fits the situation? Who fits that, that the position group room? Who fits with the offensive coordinator? Who fits with the teammates? Who fits with the life? It's got to be somebody that that, that kind of gets the situation and how they fit in. Arnold Ebicati comes in. Now, it's a little bit different because there are going to be multiple guys playing the defensive front. But Ebicati immediately, boom, fits right in. And Ebicati is one of those kids who's like Jair Brown. You talk to Jair Brown, and Tig will tell you, like, like, this is the greatest world going being here. You know, he came out of high school. He went to junior college. He comes here. It's like, wow. Ebicady came in from Temple. AK's the same way. He's like, this is great. I love this. This is great. Wow. We didn't have this other place. I mean, you know, other places. Okay. And so you want that transfer to come in and feel that way about your program where they're just going to be like, holy cow, this is great, and they fit right in. Just like when you're recruiting. You're trying your best to do the same thing in recruiting. It's not perfect, but you're trying to find fit. And for this, it was you know, the fit had to be, hey, look, going in, this guy's our starting quarterback. I mean, we'll give you a chance to compete for it, but is that what you want to do? As long as you understand the situation, going in, going in, this is, you know. And how many people felt that way about it? I don't know. It's not as simple as I wave a magic wand and I've got a transfer quarterback that's going to come in and be the number two. It's not that simple. Jack Cohn did not transfer from Wisconsin to Notre Dame to be the backup. JT Daniels did not transfer from USC to Georgia to be the backup. De'Ara King did not transfer from Houston to Miami to be the backup. Justin Fields did not transfer from Georgia to Ohio State to be the backup. It's just not it's just not the way it is. People do not transfer in with the idea they're going to be the backup quarterback. I mean, Alan Bowman, I know, transferred from Texas Tech to Michigan. Right? But he went there thinking he, you know, he could win the job, and if they found out right away he's a th- he's a three. But that's the way it is across the country right now. There are very few places right now, like Oklahoma, where this kid comes into the game and see I left the hotel. When when I left the hotel, Texas was up twenty eight to seven. Was it, you know, so I had to go down to the bus, get on the bus, and go over with the team. So I didn't see Williams replace Rattler. I didn't see it. But there are very few places like that right now with with the movement all over. I mean, who's quarterbacking? I mean, who's quarterbacking Oregon? I mean, Brown did not leave Boston College to go to Oregon to be the backup. I mean, everywhere you look, everywhere you look, 
Guys are transferring with the idea they're trying to go someplace and target someplace where they can start. Will Levis, is, Will Levis targeted Kentucky because Kentucky had an opening for a starting quarterback. Tug of Viola left Alabama and went to Maryland because he had the opening to be the starting quarterback. Sikowski and Peters are, are both the quarterbacks at Illinois. They both started at Rutgers. Well, Peters didn't start at Michigan. But Peters left Michigan so he could start at Illinois. Vedrell Vedrell left Nebraska and transferred to Rutgers so he could start. There are more transfer quarterbacks in this league than most of you people realize, to be honest with you. Sometimes it doesn't work out. The kid at Temple was a pretty good quarterback, transferred to Michigan State, and we all assumed he was going to get the starting job. Peyton Thorne held him off. But that kid did not transfer from Temple to Michigan State thinking he was going to be the backup. I mean, let's use some common sense here. Most people are, are transferring because they're trying to get themselves a better situation. So some, and sometimes you can't find that person that comes in. Not you know, look, you want everybody to compete all the time, and somebody's better, play them. But I think they had a pretty good idea what they wanted to do with Sean. All right, back after this. The weather is getting cooler and the leaves are changing in central PA. Hi, this is Season from Purdy Insurance. If your current agent is falling short, it's time to give Purdy Insurance a call. We're a local, family-owned, independent agency ready to find the right insurance to fit your needs. You can call us at 570-286-5855, stop in our office on Market Street in Sunbury, or head to our website at purdyinsurance.com to find out what we can do for you. When it comes to car buying, there's the other guy's way, and then there's the SMC way. The other guys force you into a vehicle you really don't want. The Sunbury Motors way lets you take the time you need to browse, ask questions, and take the test drive and think on it. For over 100 years, the Merth family and all their employees have made your experience the most pleasant one you'll ever have. The other guys won't offer you the best price for your trade, no matter how much they say they will. The SMC way is their promise to provide you with the most money the market shows your vehicle's worth. The SMC way is to offer you all applicable factory rebates on new vehicles and generous discounts. Looking for a pre-owned vehicle? The SMC way checks each vehicle in a 200-mile radius to determine the lowest price, then beat it. It's the lowest price promise, just part of the SMC way. The choice is up to you. The other guy's way or the SMC way? The SMC way wins every time. Sunbury Motors Company in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and at sunburymotors.com. Selling more cars and satisfying more customers for over 100 years. 